Support. Support. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the, the Kellogg Innovation Entrepreneurship Initiative. Think bravely. Think differently. Think collaboratively. What was the expected amount that you wanted from Kickstarter? Our goal was $10,000. We did like $40,000 the first day and then $80,000 the next and then $100,000 the next. So by the end of Wednesday, we were at like $220,000 or whatever it was. And over the next like three or four days, we, we filled it out to the 350 and then it down. I stopped looking at the number after a while, to be honest, because I just like couldn't, couldn't process it, one. And two, the flip side of that was, wow, I need to source a lot more operational capacity from factories and fabric. And like, I don't have time to celebrate and think about this stuff. Like I need to get new plans in place. Hello and welcome to My Startup Journey, a show where we interview Northwestern entrepreneurs, builders, visionaries, and classmates. Today we are talking to Elaine Chen and Chip Longacre from Ace Design, the company that brought you the Rompin, introduced a new line of men's fashion, and broke the internet while doing it. To start off, I wanted to tell you a story. I recently went to a Kellogg class called Entrepreneurial Selling by Craig Wartman. And there I asked, how many people know 10 or more Northwestern startups? One hand was raised, okay? What about five or more? No hands, okay? Three or more? A couple more hands? One. Everyone's hand shot up. Their answer? Rompim. If you go to Northwestern, I'm guessing that you've heard about the Rompim. When they launched their Kickstarter campaign, they raised $350,000 in a matter of days, and they received coverage from both Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert. While this is the first fashion product for the founders, they've always had an inkling of fashion and design. I grew up in Persephone, New Jersey, and I actually did go through this really brief period of my life where I would pretend I was a fashion designer and make all these clothes out of, like, cut clothes out of felt and then, like, make my parents buy them. It was weird. So I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, so not the hotbed of, of the fashion world. Um, I always liked style, sort of like a personal passion of mine. I didn't necessarily think about I thought about starting a boot company when I was in New York I was really into leather boots still am into, into leather boots um, uh, but I've always like, sort of like floated around sort of you know areas where I've been frustrated whether or not it was like the right boot or like getting a good suit that I think fits me so you both get to Kellogg and how did you meet yep uh, so it's myself uh, Chip here Alex Newman and uh, Daniel Webster Clark and we call him dubs Dubs. Yeah, and we call Alex Nooms. Newman, or Nooms. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to just make it one syllables for everyone. Well, Chip is already there, then L, and it'll be L. Yeah, I guess I'm the only two syllables. Laney. Laney, Lane. Lane. Yeah. I'm the fourth bro, so it doesn't matter. I like it. <laughs> But we met, Elaine and I were in the same section. We were big dogs. So there's eight sections at Kellogg. We were both big dogs. Um, and Newman and Dubs sort of became a... It sort of their apartment became sort of the hangout place. So it was called the 1010 Lounge, and uh, so they became sort of like big place to hang out. And, and so it was through that we sort of met them. So you met, but how did Ace Design become a thing? Uh, yeah, so this probably came up uh, end of November or December of 2016. Um, we were really a group of us just all hanging out again at the 1010 Lounge. Um, 
happen to be talking about, you know, menswear or like the lack thereof in terms of options available to you. Um, and so we just started chatting. I happened to mention how much I love a good romper. And um, that sort of got us got the ball rolling and think about like, you know, why couldn't we create a version for men? Um, it would be so cool. These are all the things that we would do with it. Um, and then I think someone came up with the name Romp Him and we all thought it was like hilarious and amazing. Bought the domain name on the spot. Yep. Because uh, we saw that it hadn't been taken. And so it was really, it was like very organic, just a group of friends chatting, hanging out. Um, and then a couple weeks later, uh, I think it was actually Alex who asked me, actually, he was like, you know, like, why don't we make this a thing? Um, and so we did. <laughs> so when you all met that day and you were hanging out and it was at 1010, how did the conversation come up though? I mean, did you just say, let's talk about men's fashion today or what spurred that conversation? Probably a little bit of drinks were involved. Uh, uh, we've always... And we talk about, you know, like, for example, just everyone's style, like Nooms is a pretty style, you know, a stylish guy. Um, he's always like got something new and cool he's wearing. Yeah. Dubs, we talk about his style a lot because he wear, you know, still does wear sweat, sweat shorts a lot. So he's about to, he brings the comfort aspect of the company. Um, and so I think in that respect, we always talk a little bit about both of their styles just in general conversation. And so it probably just sparked from you know, remarking on whatever that person was wearing and kind of spiraling into, you know, what we didn't and what we do and don't like about men's fashion. And what were, what were some things that you don't like about men's fashion? What did you highlight? I think for me personally, and this is like kind of in our Kickstarter video, it's just sort of like the, how everything is sort of generic now. You know, everyone has the same J. Crew or Untuck It sort of like gingham button down. Um, Everyone shops at Bonobos and they come out with like the same sort of like force, you know, prints or, or pants every every year. Um, the Bonobos isn't a bad company, but you know, just sort of like everyone is sort of coming to wearing the same thing. And then also sort of the trunk clubification of, you know, people sending me things, you know, me not choosing my own style, but just kind of having it like generically sent to me. Um, just kind of reacting to that and wanting to just have something a little bit more fun and make a little bit more of a statement than sort of like the generic button button down in jeans so me personally are, are your other founders the other two newman and dubs are they also really into fashion um i would say newman is i mean not in terms of like he's always looking for like the top designer and like making sure he's buying all like the most expensive clothes but i think he definitely you know has a really good sense of what his own fashion style is and he keeps up on you know, what brands are out there and what he likes. Um, I think Dubs, to an ex he definitely has his own sense of style. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think Dubs keeps up with the fashion trends quite as much. Um, Dubs also very much keeps to his own personal style and for him, comfort is the utmost importance. But like, he's great. Like, I, I think like Dubs like always has some sweet kicks on. So, yeah, and it, you know, I remember what, talking with Dubs at one point about the comfort aspect and what we were trying to bring in with the with the romp him, and it was, if we're trying to go out with our you know our girlfriend or our partner and you know and be stylish, sometimes those options aren't as comfortable. Like if I think about like skinny jeans, you know, I personally have like really large legs and um, same. 
So like skinny jeans, me going out and trying to impress my girl or other people wearing skinny jeans is just gonna be a not comfortable evening for me. And so we're saying, is there some middle ground where I'm not wearing sweatpants out, but I'm also not like wearing like something super uncomfortable. And what is the middle ground where I can sort of both be stylish and also feel comfortable in what I'm wearing. So you come up, you buy the domain name, rompim.com. And then you said a week later, Newman came up to you and said, hey, let's make this real. What did you all say when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were, we also wanted to just sort of get outside of the regular curriculum. And so we found a way to do an independent study with like a great professor who was up for like a lot of awards this year, Ben Jones. And, you know, doing an independent study with him and working as the four of us just seemed kind of like a great situation, I think. So we were all jazzed about going into that in the winter quarter. So let's talk. So you have this, you say, great, we have a name, we can make a site, we have the four of us going down, we have this independent study. What was the next step? How'd you figure out what is, what do we need to do? How do we need to make a prototype? All that stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's a lot of the same basics that you're taught in bringing a product to market. So we started with doing a lot of research, um, competitive research. We purchased anything we could find and afford that we thought like, okay, maybe this is something similar to what we like, but honestly, we just couldn't find anything that was either attainable in a price point or like provided the level of like style, comfort, and fit that we were looking for. Um, and so from there, that sort of gave us a good baseline to say, okay, like these are the things we like and don't like. This is in our mind how we would design it differently. Um, and so we really built it from scratch, I would say, after that. Um, we partnered, obviously, the four of us not actually coming from the fashion industry. Um, we found a design, fashion design consultancy in Chicago to partner with. Um, and it was a lot of, I would say, like prototype trial and error where we sketched, it started from like me literally sketching a design to figure out how to translate that into a digital CAD drawing to then translating that to working with a pattern maker to try to turn it into an actual working pattern and then like prototyping with different fabrics and fit changes and you know design changes and all the like and it was a lot of like iterations before we actually got to a point where we're like okay like this is actually something that we like and we would wear out and present to the world as like an actual MVP. <laughs> and probably got, that point was probably mid-April. Yeah. Say when we got to like, like, we can take this outside of this room and wear it in public. Um, so it was probably like a February to mid-April type of time frame of all this, you know, what she described, the iterations and things like that. How much money did you put into the business from November to April? Making prototypes, that's costly. So it was tough. We we wanted to abide by you know what I guess the entrepreneurship department would tell you and sort of like iterate and fail quick you know iterate as quickly as possible and what we found was it was difficult because we were trying to create something from scratch and we had a vision in our mind of what it would be and it was tough to sort of like make that very quickly and then be like okay it's not like that let's like change it up we actually had to like spend that two and a half mo two months like making an MVP which you know working with a design consultancy was the, the more expensive route when the professors would tell you to sort of like do it on the cheap, bootstrap it, sew it together yourselves. That really wasn't gonna get us to a place where we felt comfortable with the product and we said, all right, we're gonna, I think it was like in between five and $10,000 we all had to put up in that time period. I mean, not each, but total, um, to sort of work with this design firm and actually get like a really good pattern out of it. 
Yeah, and honestly, I think like what we learned was that that was the nature of like this industry and what works where yes in most cases you know you find out what it what's the low cost way to fail fast get a working mvp so to speak but for us because like chip said we really were building it from scratch it's really hard to visualize that or have someone else visualize it until they actually have a product especially with clothes right like it's hard to say like if you can't see it physically if you can't touch it feel it, try it on, it's really hard for them to then say, yes, I would wear this or not. Right. Without actually building the product itself, you're just work looking at like CAD drawings and even a drawing of a rompim is very different from an actual rompim. So how many different iterations? A lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a lot. It's, it's shown us a lot about the fashion. It, like even if you take a step, like getting into a pat, like so there's all these, so it's sort of like an old world industry where they operate off patterns and actually cut out patterns and that's how they go and actually lay down the paper and cut all the fabric. Um, so you're working with sort of in the machination of a, in, the, in the mechanics of a huge industry that um, takes a long time to get to a pattern, works on sort of like seasonal like production cycles with you know large garment factories. You have fabric manufacturers that may or may not have the right fabric you want and the right color and the right print. So there's a lot of huge scale. Um, you know, so it's, it was a little tough for us getting off the ground. Yeah, I think we like ultimately got to a point where you take in all the advice from professors and friends and whatnot, and it just came down to like, we either believe in this product and commit and do it and call it a learning experience if it doesn't work out, or like you fall back on you know drawings. So you so you have this MVP. How many how many of them did you have by the way in April? I'm imagining a low quantity. We worked with a, so our fashion design consultancy also had like small scale production uh, capabilities of samples. So uh, Mr. Chen uh, is a great man that lives in the South Side, probably uh, like 10 minutes from this office. Uh, and you know, you go down in his basement, he's got two sewing machines, a huge table where he cuts everything. And he probably made us 10 to 15 in that like mid April to late April phase that we started wearing out around the world. You wear it out in public and what are what are people saying, especially people you don't know? I would love to hear what are some reactions from friends of friends probably. Yeah, I wore it to Coachella. I wore I mainly wear the splatter one, part of the splatter squad. Uh, and so I wore the splatter all three days at Coachella and I wore it to the one day at Kentucky Derby. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what, you know, I would say overall I probably went every two to three minutes and was stopped and like complimented in, in a general way. Uh, usually it was just kind of like dope outfit, like, hey, or like somebody yelling at me from, you know, 20, 30 feet away, hey, that's awesome. And these um, are guys. What's, yeah, guys. Um, yeah, Coachella, it was a huge hit and, you know, we handed out a lot of, like, we, we went with probably 50 business cards in our pocket every day handed those out, um, had a lot of great conversation. We would talk with people, if we could engage them in conversation, be like, what would you, like what prints would you like to see in this? Like, do you think the shorts are too short? Like, would you like to tighten the waist in a little bit? Like, actually getting real time, you know, product feedback. Um, and so, yeah, I would say it was just sort of like general, just people having positive reactions to it. What would uh, women say about it? Um, I think I, I didn't I don't remember talking uh, talking to a whole lot of women. You don't remember when women talk to you, just yeah. No, I, my, is my girlfriend listening? No, I didn't talk to any girls, uh, Sam. Don't worry. Um, but like, 
I think it was it was pretty pop. Like I think girls yeah. liked it as well. Yeah. I actually think, um, especially at the derby, a lot of times women would comment on the co on the outfit first before guys would, and then like they would bring their guy friends into the conversation, and it ended up being this like big group conversation. So when you have this conversation, let's let's do an exact conversation. Let's say you're at the derby and some guy says, "Hey, dope outfit," and then you start engaging with this person. What is that like? What's the what was the conversation that was happening? Um, I would usually say, oh, oh, thanks, man. Like this is like this is you know like the company that we're starting. We're like making these outfits, um, you know, for, for to wear like music festivals and like fun day drinking events and like where you're active and out on the around the town and like just you know see if I can engage them a little bit more and like tell me like what you like about it. Do you like the sh the shirt length, the short length? The pattern that a lot of people reacted, you know, in strong ways to you know the splatter print one. It's a very loud um, fabric, um, but yeah, I would pretty much just go and, and get as much feedback as I could. And then, what was the next step? Great, we have an MVP. Was Kickstarter the next step, or was Kickstarter always in the plan? No, I would say Kickstarter was not always in the plan. Um, I mean, initially, this was like at the point where we finally felt like we had a good working MVP that like at this point we were also in the new venture development class and it was like great now we can really test our product and see if there's any actual demand and so we started wearing it out to events as much as possible um, to get just real-time customer feedback reactions from not only the person wearing it but also seeing who would react to it um, and so it was both a demand test but also an opportunity to just start marketing our product and brand and see what happened. Um, I think around that time we were getting good feedback at the events that we were going to and so we decided a way to test that on a much larger and broader scale that extends beyond just our circle of family and friends is to actually throw it out into the world and see what happens. and the best way in our minds to set us up, ourselves up for that like larger scale success is to get the eyes on it that a Kickstarter could. When we return, Elaine and Chip tell us about how they launched their Kickstarter campaign, handled the massive amount of success, and hunkered down on operations to fulfill all orders in a short period of time. You're listening to My Startup Journey. Stay tuned. Try My UI is an online tool to have real users test your site. You put in a goal and watch as user clicks, double clicks, and moves throughout your site. Great way to fail fast for free at trymyui.com backslash edu backslash northwestern.edu. Hey, if you're an entrepreneur or working for a startup and you're looking to grow your business, stay organized, or help with presentations, you should probably listen right now. In this segment, we call this Entrepreneur Tools, and it's a chance for me to tell you about some cool tools that can help you do all that. When I was growing up, every year we got this big yellow book filled with company names, phone numbers, and addresses. It was called the Yellow Pages. Today, websites are essentially our yellow pages, but not everyone knows how to make a site using HTML or CSS code. I bet some of you don't even know what that means. Well, Weebly is a great alternative. You can drag and drop content, easily upload pictures and videos, and use templates they already have. The best part is you can make a site for free to get started and pay more for additional features, which is why I like it a little bit more than Squarespace. I use it for my gym and allows me to be very agile with our content. Check out our partners discounts page on the EBC site for special weekly deals. Also, 
If you go to How to Startup, I recorded a class where you can log on to our EBC account, follow me along, and learn how to create pages, embed a map function, and even plug in a Mario game into your site. If you're thinking about making any type of business, this is your first step. It'll help you think about how you want to communicate to your customers and what content you want to show. Visit Weebly.com for more. Welcome back. We're talking to Chip Longnicker and Elaine Chen of Ace Design. They've come up with a prototype of the Rompim, marketed it at music events, and now are setting up a Kickstarter campaign with the hopes of raising about $40,000. But the campaign will eventually shatter that amount by about $300,000. They don't have a lot of time to launch this campaign to hit summer sales, and in fact, they only have about two weeks. And so now we get into Kickstarter. You say, awesome, we got all this customer feedback, potential customer feedback, because we actually haven't sold anything yet at Derby. Now let's get on Kickstarter. What what was that like? I mean, I saw everyone, I saw you shot, obviously, in, in the hub. What was it like producing the video you needed to make? Well, once we made the go decision on Kickstarter, right, you know, it was probably around late April when we were deciding whether or not to just do a Shopify site um, and do sort of like limited, like limited sales or kind of make a big, like splash with Kickstarter um, and we decided to do that you know then we had to go into production of the video which we really wanted to get to that theme of and we used Apple's 1984 of kind of like a dystopian future where everyone's wearing the exact same thing and just sort of like breaking out of that with a little bit more color and boldness um, and so it was super fun to shoot Brina who's in the office today sort of our creative director and came up with all that um, and we knew that that would be like very prominent on the Kickstarter that's like the first box on the Kickstarter page is that video um, but there was a lot of behind the scenes work on the Kickstarter, like a lot of work went in to make sure that like the page was set up correctly. We had the sizing guide and everything that went on that Elaine did a lot of like the Kickstarter infrastructure, I would say like, that had to be ready for 10 a.m. on May 15th. Yeah, honestly, we, I think we sort of made the decision to actually go forward with Kickstarter pretty late in the game, um, as in like we decided to do it end of April, like Chip mentioned, um, and usually I think people spend a good amount of time making sure their Kickstarter page is, yeah, is like good, like the best presentation of what their product they're hoping that you'll pledge to is, um, but we essentially decided like this is a summer garment, we want to hit the summer season, We and so we backed into the date that our Kickstarter had to launch in order to hit the production dates that we wanted to get the deliveries out to customers. And so that really left us with like two weeks or it less. Had to be May 15th. Yeah, like we decided like we have to launch on May 15th or else, and so honestly it was a lot of scrambling down to like the last minute of when our Kickstarter actually launched. So like Chip put together like with Rena like that entire video, the coordination of it, like Newman and I, and I literally spent like all weekend beforehand just putting together the Kickstarter page itself. Um, it, it was a lot, yeah. See, we tried to seed as many sales as possible. You wanted to breach our goal in the first or second day, and so we were also kind of developing an email list, like seeding it with our friends, like trying to develop our Instagram to above a thousand followers. Like, we were doing all this in the first, the two weeks leading up to it, but there was a lot of seed work that we wanted to make sure that we got like 100, 150, 200 orders over the first two days to like get us off the ground. So you're looking at 100 to 150 orders. What was the expected amount that you wanted, the pledge amount from Kickstarter? 
I think our professor had asked us this during one of our like new venture development team meetings, um, where our goal was ten thousand, and he asked us like what number we would all be like, oh my god, I'm so happy with. And I think it would range from like, you know, like 20,000 to 40,000, you know, like something where like if in a month you can get like 40, 50,000, that's amazing. That's such a huge success. And how much did you get? Uh, so I think within the first day we hit over 100 or something. I don't remember anymore. Um, but we, so we actually closed the Kickstarter after a week. Um, and our Kickstarter ended at about 353,000, I think. We did, we, our goal was $10,000 in the first, we probably hit that by 1 p.m. On, on that day. And then we, I remember being at the, we had like a little party that night um, at 1010 Lounge. And we hit, I remember it was like midnight and we did, we hit $40,000. So we did like $40,000 the first day and then 80,000 the next and then 100,000 the next. So by the end of Wednesday, we were at like 220,000 or whatever it was. And over the next like three or four days, we, we filled it out to the 350 and then shut it down. Wow, so what were you thinking when you saw 350? What was, what was going through your head? I'll let the head of production answer that one. <laughs> um, I stopped looking at the number after a while, to be honest, because I just like couldn't couldn't process it. One and two, the flip side of that was, wow, I need to source a lot more operational capacity from factories and fabric, and like I don't have time to celebrate and think about this stuff. Like I need to get new plans in place. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, honestly, I think after, after the second or third day, I just stopped checking. Now, I remember I was home and I was watching Colbert and I remember even, even the romping was on that. What did you see? What did you think when you saw it? Man, that is us in a romper on national television. What did you think? It's pretty wild. It's pretty fun to see all my friends' faces <laughs> at all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it was... It's kind of, it was pretty much the best week of my life is how I usually describe it. I mean, it was just so surreal. Like, I mean, it's something you have to savor in the moment because it's never, like, I'll never be on, like, even though we're getting made fun of on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, like, I'm not gonna, that won't happen to me again. So just, just trying to take it all in as it's happening. Like, like, just have, you know, all our friends are saying this stuff constantly, responding to friends and just engaging with everyone and just making sure that, just fully remembering the week that was. So you have the spotlight on you now. You have the spotlight as, damn, this this group, right? They went through development. Uh, they didn't even get to launch yet, our new venture launch, but they just they just killed it and they got $350,000 on Kickstarter. I love it, I love it, it's so awesome. And so I guess what was, you, you? I'm assuming you probably freaked out a little bit and then you collect and you keep moving forward. So what's the plan now? Like who is doing what and how many, what's the total number of orders you have, by the way, you have to fulfill? Uh, that we have to fulfill through the Kickstarter is around 3,300 or so. Um, and then we've been taking pre-orders on our website, on our Shopify site ever since. And that's another little over 1,000, I would say, to this point. But what, what's the division of labor now? So the division of labor, 
Elaine's head of product and loosely sort of runs the operations uh, side. Uh, so like working with fabric sourcing and manufacturing um, and fulfillment partners. Um, Newman handles like kind of the Shopify, Newman's handles the Shopify site and sort of making sure that that's upgraded, refreshed with product shots um, and it's sort of like, you know, customer service emails, things like that. But Dubs kind of runs, looks at our marketing and branding. So, you know, a lot of the things we've done since we've shut down the Kickstarter and sort of been in this sort of pre-sale for August delivery sort of like holding period is, is kind of re doing a deep dive on like what the brand vision is and what we like really think that we can become and what we want to become. Um, working with that with Abrina who helped us with the video um, and also thinking about, you know, digital marketing and when we kind of launch more styles in early August, kind of how we get our digital marketing and ads sort of ramped up um, so that it kind of works on a, you know, kind of delivers an ROIC on ad dollars. And then I sort of like am the financial person and legal um, and who helps out in different areas and, you know, because we have, you know, we've obviously had more money we, we, we have more working capital to deal with now in terms of pre-buying production and fabric ahead of actually making the garments. Um, so we have like a working capital thing that we work through and so we had to do some friends and family loans uh, immediately after closing the Kickstarter. And then we've also had a lot of imposters and people using, we've trademarked Rompim and that is a our trademark and our IP and so we want to make sure that that's not generic genericized in terms of like the way Kleenex, Kleenex has been. Um, and also people using our product shots just to sell knockoffs on their website. So dealing with those sorts of issues. Very cool. So I guess when you, when you uh, found out that, okay, we have all this money, this working capital now, we need to move forward. Now, I know there's some, some overwhelmingness when you see how much money, but now you have to think, I have to fulfill all these orders in a certain amount of time. What is going through your heads? And are you all having, how often are you talking and discussing all this at the game plan of how to move forward? Every day, we talk just about everything. I mean, we for sure. All day, every yeah, day. Yeah, all day, every day. We're constantly talking about it. What was going through your heads, though, or when you thought, man, we have 4,000 orders we got to fulfill in this amount of time? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, figuring out, constantly figuring out the path forward. We're working on a very tight, from a production standpoint, we're working on a very tight timeline. And so... Um, it's just constantly making sure that nothing slips along the way, making sure that, you know, yes, even though we need to fulfill these orders in the time that we, that we promised, um, we can't jeopardize our quality as well and we can't jeopardize our margins to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, this is our first real showing to the world. In my mind, those are all obligations. It's not like, I'm not ready to like bask in the glory of anything yet because we haven't delivered anything yet, quite frankly. Um, so it's just making sure to actually execute on everything that we've promised at this point. Um, and the entire team, I think, works together on that front. There's just so much going on in our world now in every different facet that Chip mentioned that um, a lot of times, I mean, we do just talk to each other constantly every day because things change so quickly, you need to be in constant communication, otherwise something slips through the cracks somewhere. Right, right, right. Was there ever a point where you were so, you had doubt or you were just so, I guess, scared about Rompim and what it meant? I think to Elaine's point, what, we th what like, we really need to do now, like, 
it's, I have worried, you know, we, we need to make sure that the people, first 4,000 plus that get this garment really love it and it fits perfectly on them and they love the quality. And we need to have them as like brand ambassadors when they go to a party or whatever, they, wherever they choose to wear it in the world, that they're happy in it, that they talk about it um, because it's like our first, it's our first and potentially only shot at sort of winning over those customers. Um, and so, you know, just worrying about getting it right. And that's why to some degree, you know, when the Kickstarter was happening, um, we were having real-time conversations about, like, should we make it bigger? You know, you hear a lot, of, a lot about, like, 1 million, 4 million, you know, bigger Kickstarters. Um, and to us, it was better to sort of make it smaller, make the conscious decision to make it smaller and, you know, stop selling and be able to execute. I don't know how we would, you know, we're, you know, we're four people working all the time on kind of fulfilling what we need to fulfill, and we're going to, and we're, you know, hopeful that we'll be on schedule and ahead of, ahead of schedule. Um, but if it was larger, you know, I, I think that's the fallacy that a lot of people get into of trying to make it as big as possible and it just ends up failing. Were there any classes in particular that have you felt directly helped you with the launch or development of Rompim? I think the most obvious one is the last class we were in, in related to Rompin, which is new venture development. Um, it not only gave us, you know, a framework of a class in which to think through some of our business problems as we were thinking about officially launching our product, but also exposure to the rest of your classmates who are also, you know, working in their own little worlds and their own little startups, but have their own experiences and ideas and questions to test you and your own idea that I think is really helpful. Um, and then, of course, it gave us access to our professor, Rick, who has just been insanely helpful in giving us knowledge, advice, expertise, access to people that he knows would have expertise. Um, and so I think that in and of itself is pretty invaluable. I mean, we're sitting here now, so. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> the, the professors have been, you know, I think just the flexibility of the curriculum, being able to do the independent study with a guy like Ben Jones, and then also, you know, doing new venture development with Rick. I mean, our professors have been sort of the hallmarks of our experience. Um, I guess two points of just where Kellogg could improve, um, you know, would be just sort of like accepting like all types of startups. I think there was a lot of pushback initially uh, about you know whether the whether this was a joke and it's very much not a joke. It's very much something that we work on full time and want to bring to the world and like make a product that people enjoy wearing. Um, and I think that's has the same value of the passion that we feel as you know other startups. So there's not one thing that you know one industry that should be pushing in terms of the startup community within Kellogg. Um, and additionally, we run into a lot of legal challenges um, and sort of like the startup you know having that access for sort of helping you know, startups figure out how to protect their IP, how to, you know, every business, no matter what industry you're in, when you get off, when you have an idea and it kind of takes off, you'll have people that either want to copy it, steal it, or um, you know, say it was theirs first. So how do you kind of protect all that and do that all ahead of time before you get into market? Correct. I was watching this thing on TRX where the, the founder was saying that in China, they just had 17 companies that just immediately copied it right away and he had to go after them and, and yeah. it was a long arduous process to collect damages from potential sales so I, I understand we've seen some people on, on Alibaba and things like that um, so we definitely understand that experience so what do you do uh, 
we're as chief legal counsel, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that out. Uh, but usually, we'll, especially on platforms like Shopify or Facebook or Instagram, you go through the host to take down infringing comp copy, take down infringing content. Um, and Shopify and those platforms have been great, and it can immediately take down people that we think are infringing. Um, when you get overseas to things like Alibaba, uh, it's a little bit more complex of like a takedown procedure. Um, and then once you get past that, if they're still infringing, you know, we sort of get into cease and desist letters and, and you know, potentially injunctions and things like that down the line. Do the four of you, or how many of there are of you, do you still hang out? Are you sick of each other? And what do you do that is not related to romp and just to, to hang out and relax? Um, we do hang out, though it feels like yeah. this is yeah. It feels like this is just my life now. Um, but yeah, I mean, do the same things we always did before. You go out to dinner, you get drinks, um, go to concerts, go to sporting events. I mean, the great thing you is we do all those in rompims now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we make the, we make the guys wear rompims now. Is the difference? <laughs> Very cool. So, what's the last thing? Was what's the next step? What's happening? So, obviously, you have to fill these orders by when? when end of August. Okay. We have we have an early birds end of July or by sometime in July, um, and then the remainder kickstarters is August. Wow. So you got a little bit more than a month. Yeah, I think the, the next step is, you know, the vision is sort of a category domination of the romper, um, sort of, you know, not just for men, but for women, babies. Um, I think we want to just be the kind of, we want to introduce fun, cool products that people love to wear. Um, and we're actively having those discussions and, you know, talking with manufacturers for August, for September into the fall and, and holiday season. Here you have it. That's Elaine Chen and Chip Longnecker of Ace Design. Along with Newman and Dubs, the team is set to deliver rompims by August 25th and even had a special event on August 18th through the 20th at Bucket Feet in Worker Park where they showcase the rompim. As always, I hope that this podcast allows you to learn more about the startups coming out of Northwestern so that when someone asks you, how many current Northwestern startups do you know, you can list more than what you knew before this podcast began. Click subscribe to be one of the first to automatically hear new episodes, and please leave a review to help us rise in the rankings. Until next time, I'm John Lee with EBC's My Startup Journey. Keep dreaming.